0: Uh, Romans chapter 4, uh, verse 13 through the end of the chapter, verse 25. And Paul writes, For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but it was through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law, the law of Moses... Our heirs, faith is made void, and the promise of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, that is to the Jews only, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all? And as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations uh, in the presence of him whom he believed, that is, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, and who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken that so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was a to him For righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. And it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, our sins, uh, and was raised because of our justification. And, Lord, we, we, we praise you. We are so thankful, Lord, how you have made a way, Lord, uh, to heaven. And, Lord, uh, you remind us, Father, in these verses, in this book of Romans, that, Lord, it was not by, Lord, our ability to keep the law, to maintain some moral code, But, Lord, it's simply and wonderfully by faith in Christ. Lord, because what you have done. And, Lord, we pray, Father, in a fresh way this morning for the revelation of that to our hearts. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, uh, it's only by your saving grace and mercy can we truly understand, Father, these things. And so I pray, Lord, for the working of the Holy Spirit today. Lord, working in each and every heart, Lord, revealing yourself, Lord, showing us truth, Lord, giving us deeper understanding, helping us, Lord, to glorify and to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for all that he has done. Lord, it's it's nothing that we can accomplish on our own, but Lord, all glory and praise and honor to you for what you have wrought. And so, Lord, we celebrate, Lord, this wonderful gift of salvation. Every time we gather together, Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks. We give you adoration. And, Lord, we, we commit this time to you now this morning and ask you to bless it. Lord, bless it to our lives. Lord, speak, we pray, those things that, Lord, we, each one of us, need to hear today. Where Father, we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, our, our title this morning is The True Nature of Faith. Uh, Paul has thus far, uh, in this book of uh, uh, Romans, been driving home this point, uh, basically, about faith, that we are saved, we are justified, you know, by faith, without any good deeds, without anything that we can accomplish on our own. It's simply by our faith, our trusting in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's for any, for all, who will believe and put their faith in Him, and basically His atoning work. Uh, when we talk about the cross, we talk about that atonement work, that re- redemption. Uh, and it has to be personalized. Yes, he's died for the sins of the whole world, but it has to be uh, individually personalized where we put our faith, our trust, you know, in what he has done for each one of us. And then we find, we discover, um, as our lives are wonderfully illuminated, that we're saved. Um, and, uh, and it's only really that alone, uh, that gift of salvation, That makes us right with God and really makes us a Christian. Uh, You can be a Christian in name, but you have to be a Christian in spirit. Uh, That's what the Bible clearly teaches us and reminds us of. Now, as we come to these particular verses here, uh, he's going to tell us basically where faith originates. And we're talking basically about this whole matter of faith today. Uh, And it originates really in the heart of God. It's not something that we dredge up on our own, it's not something that we manufacture. Um, not something that we've pulled ourselves up and we huffed and are puffed and we believed, you know, hard enough. It originates with Him, um, and basically, He, He, it's a gift. It's a gift that He gives to us. Um, you know how that all exactly works, we may not fully understand that, uh, but you know, I think when we come to this place, you know, where we, we have put our faith in Him, uh, we realize that something is something something wonderful has taken place. So There's been a transformation. And uh, uh, but the fact is, it originates; it comes from Him. It doesn't come, you know, from us and what we're able to do. And and basically, our response to that gracious gift of salvation, and uh, and God working in our life. And and, you know, when you first get saved, um, you don't know you don't know very much the the semantics or the 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 the, the, uh, terminology or whatever the case may be. You just know something's happened to your life. You know that you're changed. You know that you've been trans, you know, uh, transformed in some kind of way to some certain kind of degree. Uh, you don't even know, what, you know the, what the next step is or what's going to you know, fully take place, but you know, you know that you know that Christ has come into your life, and it's not a question mark anymore. You know it, God, and that is God. I, uh, the, the, the day it happened for me, it happened to me mid-afternoon. By the time I got home, I knew something wonderful had taken place in my life. I didn't know exactly all that it was, but I knew. Um, I knew because I was told if I, you know, if I open my life up to Jesus Christ, uh, that He will come into my life. And so all of a sudden, my life was just wonderfully warm. My, you know, I think it was Wesley who said uh, that his heart was warmed. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, not only is your heart warmed, there's a, there's a wonderful, um, you know, transition. Uh, that begins to take place deep within your heart, deep within your soul. And one of the things that, uh, that in my case, was the fact I couldn't stop thinking about him. I just simply could not stop thinking about God. Uh, and I knew, I knew that I knew that I wasn't what I was yesterday. I knew that I was a, a new creature, you know, in Christ. Uh, as the scripture, you know, reminds us of anyone, be in Christ. You know, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. You're not perfect Okay? But old things pass away and behold all things become new. Uh and and um and if you're if you're perhaps maybe you've been coming to church or um you know maybe you signed a card and uh perhaps you maybe gone through some different you know uh, religious hoops and, and that hasn't happened for you for you yet. That needs to happen. That needs to happen where you know that you know that you know. Uh, Nobody has to convince you of it. You know deep within your heart and deep within your life that Christ has come, you know, into your life and into your experience. So he says, therefore, in verse 16, it is a faith that it might be according to grace um, so that the promise might be sure to all, uh, the seed, not only to those who are of the law, uh, but those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And so uh you know grace uh, I've heard grace grace gives but but faith receives. And that's the beautiful thing about grace, you know, it, God's grace it keeps giving. And in a sense really faith not only initially receives, it continues to receive. And this word faith we find here in the book of Romans, we find it 74 uh, excuse me 64 times uh over and over uh you know <clears throat> I was um, uh hearing about some saint uh you know some old um, church father figure, and uh, he he had I think it was John Chrysostom uh, back in the back in perhaps the second century, and uh, he would have the Book of Romans read to him twice every week, and uh, and that'll transform your life. You know the the Book of Romans is a transform transformational kind of book. Uh, You know, all the Word of God is like that in a sense, but there's something wonderful. Somebody, I heard somebody once say many years ago that if you could build a sort of a cathedral out of the Bible, uh, the book of Romans would be the pinnacle. It would be the high point. Uh, And when you read through it, you realize why. And hopefully as we move through this book that is going to uh, basically add much, you know, spiritual life to us and give us much encouragement and a greater understanding. Uh, So he says here basically, you know, that that, uh, our relationship with God is a relationship that's based on faith. It's not a genetic kind of relationship. Now, he would be the father of many genetically. He would be the father of the Jews and also to the father of many of, um, you know, the Arabs. But the fact of the matter is, it's only those who believe in Messiah Jesus. You see, that's the priority relationship. Uh, In a sense, when you think about the fact that uh, maybe you grew up in a Christian home, but you really didn't get saved, you didn't get saved on the coattails of mom and dad's faith. You can't. It's impossible. God's only got children, no grandchildren. Okay? Uh, And and it's the same thing, you know, it's the same thing spiritually. you know, it's an individual, personal thing where we put our faith, our trust in Him. I just wish my kids would have, you know, all gotten saved by osmosis because they were, you know, uh, they were born into a, a Christian family. Uh, now before the age of reason, they were, they were protected, uh, you know, type of thing because they were in my home. Whether they were saved or not, uh, you know, they, they, they were protected as the Bible reminds us of that. Uh, but we come to a place and a point in life where we need to personally put our faith, you know, in the Lord and Savior, you know, Jesus Christ. And uh, in order for, you know, f- you know f- uh, Abraham, that is, to be, the, our, you know, that faithful example of, of, uh, of um, you know, godly fatherhood. Now, verse uh, 17 uh, gives us a promise, and it's a quote here from uh, Genesis 17, verse 5, he says, it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Uh, all the way back uh, there in Genesis, uh, not only in 17, but it's sort of re- uh, a rehearsing of, of chapter 12, verse 3, um, where uh, uh, the Lord told Abraham that he was going to be a father of many different peoples. And uh, we see that is certainly true. But here's the problem that they faced. Their bodies basically were dead from childbearing. And uh, over the course of basically 25 years, Abraham and Sarah heard this promise. God had been speaking to them all along, and it must have been a, a kind of a, an enigma for them, for God to speak this to them, and all of a sudden each year, excuse me, they don't have children. I mean, imagine that. Uh, here's Abraham's life. He's seven years old. God says, you're going to be the father of many nations. Now, no doubt they had been probably maybe married. Uh, at that point, uh, maybe they had been married for 50 years. And all of a sudden, God comes into the life and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And then he's 76 and 77, and then he's 80, and he's 83 and 85 and 87, and nothing is taking place. And it's interesting because um, Abraham, the name, actually means father of a multitude. And I would imagine you know, can you imagine some of the conversations, you know, in the encampment there? A- Abraham's encampment was probably about a, you know, probably at least a thousand people in that encampment, and uh, and and, there, and you're probably maybe uh, snickering a little bit about Abraham and Sarah. You know, Abraham's been talking about, you know, for the last 10 years, or the last 20 years, he's been talking about, you know, he's that God said he's going to be the father of, of of, you know, many nations, and they're probably thinking Abraham's getting old, you know, he's kind of He's slipping a little bit. He's going around saying he's going to be the Father, and it's like here's another year gone by, another year gone by, and another year gone by. But you know, God is faithful to His Word. Uh, has, God ever spoken, has God spoken something to you? And maybe it's been a few years now, and it still has not come to pass. These kind of things happen to us. You know, God speaks into our life. You know, maybe sometimes God speaks, you know, He's, He's got a plan, you know, for, you know, maybe our child or, you know, one of our children, a special plan. And maybe you were in prayer and God just sort of spoke into your life. And, and yet here's this, here's this youngster of yours. They've grown up. They left your home. They've been out of your home for a number of years. And they don't seem like they're even walking with the Lord. And yet, you know, you remember that, you know, that once in a while, maybe when you come upon that certain verse, whatever the case may be, you remember that verse, and you think, oh, well, I guess it just isn't going to happen. You know, we kind of get like that, don't we? We, we kind of we give, you know, we, we surrender to circumstances and all that we can't see, we can't imagine, uh, or we don't see it happening. And oftentimes, we're more inspired by what we see, you know, visually around us Um, than we are by God's Word and by God's truth. And verse 17 has always been, I've always loved this verse because of the power of it. And let's read the rest of it. I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of Him, that is God, whom He believed, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist As though they did. Now, there's two critical things here that really need to take place in order for the promise to be fully realized. Two beautiful principles, two powerful concepts that we find here uh, in verse 17. And the first one is simply this: it's creation, and it's oftentimes referred to ex nihilo, um, and basically means it's a Latin term. It's an Italian term that basically means to, to create something out of nothing. Sort of like the Hebrew word uh, for, for create in the Old Testament. Remember, uh, I think it's Psalm 51 where David says, Create in me, O Lord, a new heart. It was his psalm of repentance. And it's the word bara. But, it, but the definition of it is to create something out of nothing. And see, this is something that our God does. He creates something out of Nothing. You know, we may look at a circumstance, we may look at a situation, we may look at somebody's life we may see nothing. But are we looking to the God who can speak His Word that creates new life and bring transformation and bring change, you know, into it? Because in a sense, that's what happens to us. God speaks His Word into us and all of a sudden, we're new creations, We're new creations in Jesus Christ. God is always doing this, not just for Abraham. A lot of times we read this kind of stuff and we just keep it within the context, you know, of, of, you know, well, that's for Abraham. God speaks things that don't exist and he calls them into being. And one of the beautiful things I think uh, about this is is that he incorporates and brings us into this. Putting his will, his desire in our heart, and all of a sudden you find yourself caring about somebody, praying for somebody, reach, reaching out to someone, and all of a sudden a new creation takes place in that. because, and, and he brought you and me into that as we're, as we're ministering, loving on somebody, praying for them, I I really don't know if any of us fully understand the real power of prayer. Because if we did, we would pray more. If we did, every prayer prayer meeting would be teeming with people. And I I think we probably none of us fully apprehend or understand it, uh, probably until we get to heaven. But there's that element in it. There's that element that when, as we pray, God brings to pass His purpose, and He creates something there that was not there. I think sometimes God does it with us when we're praying and asking Him to do something in our heart, and He creates a whole new desire, or He He grants to us a whole fresh new power He, every one of us have no doubt issues in our life that we're praying about or maybe we're concerned about. That God wants us to believe Him to, to work a change that we cannot work. So often, you know, we tend to look at our own natural ability. We know our, you know, the Bible says we know our own weakness, a, a heart knows its own bitterness. But there's something wonderful and powerful that when we just simply lift up a prayer to God, and that's why when we see things, and I'm not just certainly as we maybe see things in the life of somebody that we care about or that we love or whatever the case may be, for God to work in them, but, but us as well. When we see things in our lives that are not right, when we're reacting wrongly, are we, are we praying not just for the other person? We think they're wrong. Are we praying for ourselves? Are we praying, Lord, change me? Or are we like David saying, Lord, create in me a new heart? Create in me, Lord, a new desire? He was not only our creator at one point in time, He continues to be the one who creates. That's what this verse is about. That's what we're, we're basically being reminded about. You know, physically, Abraham needed some kind of basic, you know, some degree of restoration in order to procreate. And you know what the thing was? Even though he was 100 years old, he believed. He believed simply because, God, you said it. You said it, God, I believe it. That settles it. And it seems ludicrous to us. Billy Graham just passed. It was this year, wasn't it, I believe? I think it was this year, earlier this year. He was just short of 100 years old. 100-year-old people don't have babies, don't create babies. Their bodies are dead. They're unable for childbearing. But he believed the Creator. You see, we serve that same awesome awesome God that can change things. See, maybe sometimes we give up on people. It's because oftentimes there's just a, a, a void within our lives, a void of faith, a void of trust, a void of maybe we haven't seen God's power or God work of late. And so sometimes we can write people off. But oh, when God comes into the equation, it's transformational. It's powerful. God who calls those things which do not exist as though they did, calling them into being. And secondly, uh, gives life to the dead, uh, resurrection principle there. We will see that later uh, in his life in Genesis 22. Uh, we see how he believed in that resurrection uh, principle. And um, so verse 18, who contrary to hope or against hope, and what he's saying here is that he believed against human hope. He believed basically against human hope, That in hope, that is, hope in God, he believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. You see, God works in hopeless situations. Hope is always based on expectations. David said, my expectation is of the Lord. See, a lot of times we have expectations of people. Have you ever been let down by somebody? Of course you have. Have we ever let somebody down? Yes, we have. Everybody, everybody's done it. And a lot of times we place hope, there can be hopeful aspirations in the wrong thing that can be based, you know, it can be based in people. But David said, My expectation basically is of the Lord. And you know what? God is dependable. What's it say in Romans chapter 5? I, I believe it's five, verse five, that hope does not disappoint. And when we hope, basically what he says in the latter part of that verse, uh, you know, basically the love of God is poured out into our hearts and into our lives. Because why? Our expectation is of the Lord. We're basically hoping in Him. What's in Psalm 42, um, 42 and 43, the writer there is obviously awful depressed. He's speaking of, he just, he just, you can just, as you read through the psalms, you can just realize that, that even as you go through Psalm you know, 42, he doesn't shake it, quite shake it. But he says in the, in the midst of that, and in Psalm 43, he says, hope thou in God. <laughs> because we can put our hopes in people, and they, they may let us down, maybe they can't come through. And you know, sometimes God allows people to let us down. If we're, put, if we're trusting people too much, if we're putting our hopes in people too much, he will, he will allow that. They will simply, they will collapse. They will cave in. They will not be able to live up you know, to the expectations that we had put on them because God wants Him to be our expectation. So when He says here, contrary to hope, against hope, it's human hope. But in hope, in hope, He Believe. Remember this God is dependable. He may not deliver exactly when I want him to, but he will be perfectly on time according to his schedule. God's dependable. Be careful you don't put your hope. Everybody outside of Christ, their hopes are not in Him. A lot of people, they're hopeful today for that the market doesn't crash. (laughs) It just keeps going down more and more and more and more and more and more. more. Or, Or some kind of political aspiration and hope. he will not let you down. He is dependable. He is wonderfully faithful. Now, looking at verse 19, we want to ask here, did Abraham ignore the facts? Did he take a leap of faith into the unknown? We hear that, don't we? Oh, you need to take a leap of faith. Did he just sort of take this leap of faith into the unknown? Did he ignore all the facts? It says, and not being weak in faith, he, he did not consider his own body already dead. Some translation uh, removed the negative there. Um, either way, it basically says the same thing. Um, and since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe that faith is, is unreasonable or irrational? It is not. You don't just take some leap of faith. His faith is basically based on the foundation of God's promise. I think people take leaps of faith when it's something they just want to do. Then they say, oh, I took a leap of faith. (laughs) Well, you just might go off a cliff if you take a leap of faith. Faith is reasonable. It's, it's rational. What, what did the Lord say to His people uh, the, through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 1? Come, what? Let us reason together. You know, when you look at the Scriptures, the Bible's so reasonable. That's the problem is people, you know, that's, the, that's why it's important for you and I to read the Bible because we get a divine perspective. Because otherwise, we will have just a natural perspective like everybody else out there in the world. We need the Word of God con- con- continually, constantly washing over us, giving us God's perspective. God's reasonable. The, the Bible's very, you know, when you, when, you under, when you read it, you begin to understand it, and you, and you need to keep reading it by faith. God, all of a sudden, just, he, be, he just sort of opens up your understanding. You realize, man, how reasonable, how rational. It makes perfect sense. You know, the, the, the Bible you know basically reveals to us man's folly. Man's here's man's folly, you know, save yourself. Save yourself. You know, here's basically God's wisdom. Give yourself to God. Give yourself to the Lord. I was thinking of that in relation to Romans chapter 12 verse 1 that we're told there to what to present our bodies to give ourselves totally to God. What did he say? It's a re- it's reasonable. It's really smart, the smartest thing that anyone can ever do. bar none. The smartest thing anyone can ever do is commit their life to God, to give their life to Jesus Christ. That is by far, because that's an eternal thing. And there's an eternal wisdom in that. When we commit ourselves to Him, when we give ourselves, when we decide, I want to believe, I want to put my faith and trust in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the thing, again, what sin has done is darkens our, it darkens our ability it darkens our ability to understand, you know, and to see God's ways. But, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, basically what He does is He corrects that deficiency if we listen and obey. you got to listen you have to obey the Holy Spirit. See, there's a, there's, a, there's a natural deficiency that we all have. Get away from the Bible. Get away from Prayer. You know, get away from God's people, um, you're going you, to find you're going to be thinking and acting just like everybody else out there in the world. And that's why it's important, you know, that we're, we're we have a devotional life. We're, we're studying, we're praying. We're, we're praying with other people. Uh, we're gathering with God's people. We need that. How, how important, you know, remember the early church that said they gather with one another every day, every day. Because you know what, we need that kind of encouragement, that kind of constant uh, input from the lives of other people. Um, you know, the Bible speaks about how, in a sense, uh, it, it, we can sharpen one another. Uh, we encourage um, and help one another along the path because uh, there's many different pitfalls and many different challenges and all that we face. And so we need one another. That's why the Bible refers to us as a body, as a flock. Uh, we need one another for those, for those um, works of God that He wants to accomplish through us um, and to one another. Now, in verse 20, He brings out here this alternative that Abraham faced, that any one of us face, and that is basically vacillation in the life of faith. We're all called to a life of faith, and there's going to be times where we do vacillate. But I've come to realize that we don't have to. It's a choice, it's the decision. It says he did not waver. He did not vacillate at the promise of God through unbelief. In other words, he didn't, he didn't waffle, he didn't cave in. Uh, and the fact, the fact is, we're all going to face doubt. He didn't give in, though, to the disbelief and all that, perhaps, maybe, uh, that uh, was suggested to him, or sometimes too. You know, we live in a culture of unbelief. And that's why it's, imper- it's, it's imperative and very important that you don't get your counsel from the world and unchristian sources. They're going to encourage you in the wrong way. That's why the Bible, like Psalm 119, speaks about the Bible itself being our counselors. If you've got nobody to talk to, you know, uh, no good influence to speak to, look to your Bible. You know, God's Word will counsel you if you have to make a decision. You know, we live, you know, in this, this, this world, and we have to be careful that this world doesn't encroach. It's always trying to encroach uh, in one uh, way or the other. Of course, and, and the thing is, too, when we begin to doubt and disbelieve, um, you know, revealed Bible truth, when God has spoken something to our heart, it will always bring instability into your life. Look back at times in your life where there was sort of an instability. There were times where, you know, there wasn't a a, um, good inflow of God's truth into your life. Maybe you weren't reading the Bible. Maybe you weren't praying like you normally were. And all of a sudden, this important decision came. And sometimes we find we make, we can make the wrong decision. Sometimes we can make decisions that really, you know, put us into a very difficult situation. Or sometimes we can make decisions that the consequences of them uh, can be a lot longer lasting than we thought they would be. I was thinking of this verse um, that uh, I wrote it in the fly paper of my Bible. Um, Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you want it to stay and will cost you more than you were willing to pay. And sometimes we make, unfortunately, those kind of decisions where there's consequences to them. Man, we need, you know, God's constant truth within our lives. And, um, you know, remember, as James who said, a double-minded man, double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. I think it was Isaiah, Isaiah 33 if I can recall, where, where it speaks about our relationship with the Lord, that He will be the stability of your times. He's our stability. He's our stability. We act out of faith, we can be so flaky. You ever have some flaky times in your life before you came to Christ? Well, of course you did. I had some real flaky times in my life before Christ. I don't even want to think about those times. But there's a stability that comes from Him in your life, that we need that. We need that guidance. We need that direction. Man, if you find yourself getting double-minded, <laughs> back and forth, get into the Bible. Get into the Word. Let it just sort of cleanse your hearts and minds. Uh, little devotional piece out of Streams in the Desert. Uh, this is by C.H. Spurgeon. And uh, the theme verse is, My grace is sufficient for you. He says, The other day while I was riding home, after a hard day hard day work, he's probably riding home on a horse in a carriage, I was very tired and deeply depressed when quickly and suddenly, as a lightning bolt, the verse came to me, My grace is sufficient for you. And when I arrived home, I looked it up in the word, and and it finally came to me this way. My grace is sufficient for you. And my response was to say, yes, Lord, I should think that it is. And then I burst out laughing. Until that time, I had never understood why the holy laughter of Abraham was, or what it was. This verse seemed to make unbelief totally absurd. I pictured a thirsty little fish who was concerned about drinking the, the river dry with Father River saying, "'Drink away, little fish, my stream is sufficient for you.'" I, was all, I also envisioned a mouse afraid of, star, of starving after seven years of plenty when Joseph says to him, "'Cheer up, little mouse, my granaries are sufficient for you.'" And again, I imagined a man high on a mountain peak and saying to himself, "'If I breathe so many cubic feet of air every year, I am afraid I will deplete all the oxygen in the world.'" But the earth says to him, breathe away, fill your lungs forever. My, my, my atmosphere is sufficient for you. O oh, people of God, be great believers. Little faith will bring your souls to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your souls. I love the way uh, Spurgeon has a way of uh, you know, using those great little illustrations. And uh, you see that kind, of, that kind of faith, the faith of Abraham. It's available to you and me. Remember, the disciples said, "Lord, increase our faith." When's the last time you When's the last time you prayed that? When's the last time you honestly prayed that? Lord, increase my faith. Lord, take me deeper. Lord, I want to know you in a in a deeper way, a better way. I, I think He longs for us to hunger for that, to, to thirst, you know, to to you know, to have more of Him at work, you know you know, in our lives, coursing through our lives. You know, I've often said uh, our lives are really a conduit. But is it just a trickle? Is it just trickle coming out of the pipe? Or or is it like uh, Jesus said in John chapter 7? Is it living waters? You know, flowing, being, you know, ushering, you know, out of our lives. God calls us, you know, into this awesome relationship of faith with him and so in verse 20 he says but was strengthened speaking of Abraham was strengthened in faith giving glory to God so he basically believed and he acted upon revealed truth what God had revealed to them and that's all God is calling each one of us to do to act and to believe and to act upon those things that he's showing us those things that he's revealing to us and that's why it is important we read the Bible So often uh, I'm challenged as I just do my devotional reading and God just sort of whispers, you know, something, you know, into my heart, into my life. When he does that, he he calls us to not only believe it, but, but to act upon that, to act in faith and watch God work. Verse 21 is a great definition of faith. Certainly we know Hebrews 11 perhaps the greatest, this is a a great one too, and about Abraham and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. He was fully convinced about that. that, that what God had said, what God had promised, that God was going to wonderfully, you know, basically deliver on that. Again, people will make promises to us all the time. They'll fail to keep them. But, you know, not so with God. He is so utterly faithful. Sometimes I'm reminded as I read through a portion of Scripture that maybe I haven't read in a while, and I have some of my older Bibles pretty marked up, and I still use them And uh, as I turn to them from time to time and and look into some obscure part of the Bible that maybe I haven't looked in that particular Bible, all of a sudden I'm reminded of of this little promise there uh, that I wrote maybe a date. I wrote a date in when God gave me a promise. And there was one not too long ago I looked at. It was some 30 years old. And I looked at that verse and said, Lord, you've been faithful. Lord, you have been so incredibly faithful. And even when God gave me that promise, I I didn't fully understand or apprehend. Fully, that is, what he had in mind. But as I look back, I'm, I'm amazed at the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. And I'm sure that, that he has spoken into your life those similar things. Or, or maybe, maybe perhaps he has spoken something into your life, you're, just, you're still waiting for it. You're, you're still waiting for God. We were talking about that last week, I think, in, in, in different, different ways. We wait for him. And maybe there's some big thing that you're just simply waiting for God to work in your life. And he is faithful he will do that. He will do what he has promised. Verse 22, it was accounted, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. And again, the the, the reward for believing God is righteousness, the gift of his righteousness, and it comes with his full approval. In other words, God basically (laughs) irrespective. no matter how horrible our past was. You're a new creature. You're forgiven. I think there are things that happen in people's lives and they say, well, this is what I am. This is what I am, and it ain't ever going to change because sometimes there are things that happen to us. They so deeply hurt us. They so deeply wound us. And we can't see ourselves outside of that hurt, that pain, that wounding. And we can kind of get focused on that. But God says you're a new creature. You belong to Him. You're, you're my righteous one. You're, you're forgiven. You're, you're cleansed. I was reading a couple weeks ago of a gal who had been raped her whole childhood by her father. And, And probably most of us here can't even imagine what that's like. Can't even imagine the depth of that kind of pain. And yet to hear her, her joy and her testimony. That even though that all happened, that God cleansed her, that God changed her. That, That she wasn't just stuck in that thing for the rest of her life. And, of course, most of us can't even relate to that, but we can relate to something. Something in our lives that didn't go right. He's the God says, you're righteous. You belong to me. You're the object of my love. I've recreated you. Into my image. <laughs> Don't let the devil condemn you. Don't let the devil keep you in, in that place. And I think when somebody has a kind of focus on some negative part of their history, they're so focused on they think everybody else is focused on it. Sometimes the devil will keep people there. God says you're a new creature. That's why Paul says the Bible says, forgetting those things that are behind. And that's a divine forgetting. We need God's help and God's grace to forget some of those traumatic things, that have wounded our lives that they don't define our lives the rest of our lives this is what needs to define our lives you're righteous you belong to me (laughs) he sees us perfect in his son and sometimes to our our psyche that almost seems like it's unrealistic how could that be but it is. Now he concludes here, these final verses, with an important application. It is not written for his sake alone, Abraham, that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him. Who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead? You know, Bible stories and Bible characters were never designed to be detached from us. You know, sometimes we look back, you know, the, oh, this ancient culture. When we look at biblical culture, this is as if this ancient culture is unrelatable. Now, circumstances may change, cultures may change, but God's truth remains the same. And God takes the life of these Bible characters and they're illustrations of what He will do irregardless of time. Irregardless of culture. Irregardless of your background. These individuals, they stand up for us. They they are illustrations of the grace of God and what God can do. Not predicated upon the culture, upon the society, upon how much money you have. Or your education. It's predicated upon him, what he can do. It's not just for Abraham, it's for us. It's for us if we will believe, if we will trust him. these, these David, Abraham, they're prototypes. They're prototypes of what God will do. In in any and all who would simply put their trust in Him. Remember I said a week ago or maybe two, yeah, it was a week ago, that this word imputed. It's 11 times in this chapter. It's logosomai. It's also translated account. And basically what it is, it's an accounting, it's an economic term. That, that Paul's using here. And what it basically means is God is saying, I am going to deposit my greatest asset to your account. I'm going to, I'm going to empty out the liability column and in the credit column, I'm going to put my greatest asset and that is my righteousness, ascribing it, giving it, gifting it to you, to me. He logs it in. He puts it in your column. Takes away all the liabilities. He said, You're righteous. You're righteous because you believed in me, he says. And in verse 25, he, he, he closes here and he highlights two important facts. And those facts are this his death and his resurrection. Because of those, we have this gift of life. We have this wonderful hope. (laughs) We have this God that can create something out of nothing. Remember that regarding your future nothings, He still creates. He still raises the dead. <laughs> but He wants you and me to trust Him to do that. Don't fully understand the whole matter of faith. But I know that when we do believe when the power of Belief is there that God actualizes, that God answers, that God works. He went to the cross innocently, take our punishment to become our substitute. Who was delivered up because of our offenses, who was raised because of our justification. One of the things the Bible tells us, that when He died, we died in Him. The old man died. The old person died. The old life died. The old sinful powers that held us died. Because why? We died in Him. When we, that's why we believe in Jesus and his, his atoning work on the cross. We died because He died. That's why these things don't have power over us. Yeah, certainly we can sin, we can give in to that. But our debt was paid. And the beautiful thing about His resurrection, His rising from the dead, it basically proves that what? He's God. He is who He said He is. And because He is who He said He is, because He is God, He will save and justify all of those who believe in Him. Amen? Lord, we praise You. You're an awesome God. Lord, even as we consider these things, we so lack in our understanding. But thank you, thank you that you don't call us to understand it all, just to believe it and to trust you. I pray for any and all this morning that you would grant and give faith that you would reveal your great goodness, Lord, who you are. Father, I pray as we we stand on the precipice of a new year. Whatever this year was, Lord, is behind us. Maybe it was good, maybe it wasn't. But Father, as we stand this morning. We look at, Lord, the uncertainty of a new year. Maybe there's uncertainties financially. Maybe there's uncertainties with our health. There's a lot of uncertainties, Lord, politically, economically. But we can be certain of this. That as we trust you, as we commit our lives to you, that you'll be there for us, that you'll guide us, you'll help us to navigate, Lord, through this new year. Help us, I pray, Father, to bring you glory, to bring you honor, to bring you praise. You're worthy. Thank you for saving us, and I pray, Father, for anyone this morning. Lord, you'd help them if their relationship with you is just a big question mark. Settle that for them. Settle that for them, Lord. Cause them to say, I put my faith, my trust in Jesus. And Lord, you will show yourself strong. You will prove that you are faithful to your word. And we praise you and bless you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.